Good morning, everyone, and a very warm welcome to Hillhead at the Grosvenor. Special welcome if you're visiting us this morning. It's lovely to have Now, I think most of us know that our minister, Katrina, is away on leave just now, and so the content of this morning's service has been generated entirely by the members of the congregation. So this truly is a family service in more ways than one. Um, we are going to share with one another in the course of this service a selection of our favourite hymns, readings and prayers. So let's just take a moment of silence as we come to worship. This is the place, and this is the time. Here and now, God waits to break into our experience, to change our minds, <coughs> to change our lives, to change our ways, to make us see the world and the whole of life in a new light, to fill us with hope, joy and certainty. This is the place, as are all places. This is the time, as are all times. Here and now, let us praise God. Our opening hymn has been chosen by Margaret and by Wendy, who both requested this well-loved psalm, which speaks of God's protection and provision for us. The Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want, and we stand if we're able as we sing.
we've just been singing were attributed to King David, a man who started out as a shepherd looking after his father's sheep. He also knew at first hand what it meant to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He faced the prospect of death himself in battle many times. He mourned the untimely death of his friend Jonathan and he saw several of his own sons die violent deaths including his beloved Absalom. And the first son he had with Bathsheba died just a few days after he was born. And yet what David chooses to write about in this 23rd Psalm is the presence of God with him in the sorrow and in the suffering. It's no wonder then that his words have brought comfort to people of faith over 3,000 years and still speak to us today. When Margaret suggested this psalm, she said, The 23rd Psalm to me is about the Lord looking after me in all situations. It's a psalm that's been translated into hundreds of languages and dialects, and we're going to hear just two of them now. Firstly, Margaret is going to read a Japanese version of the psalm, and then Wendy will read one from the Australian Outback. The Lord is my pace setter. I shall not rush. He makes me stop and rest for quiet intervals. He provides me with the images of stillness that restore my serenity. He leads me in ways of efficiency through calmness of mind, and his guidance is peace. Even though I have great many things to accomplish each day, I will not fret, for his presence is here. His timeless, his all-importance will keep me in balance. He prepares refreshment and renewal in the midst of my activity by anointing my mind with his oils of tranquility. My cup of joyous energy overflows. Surely harmony and effectiveness shall be the fruits of my hours, for I shall walk in the peace of my Lord and dwell in his house forever. The Lord is my drover. I travel well. On outback tracks, he finds green feed. He guides me safely to cool water holes. His understanding revives my dusty life. He remembers the best stock routes for which his name is well known. In deep gullies, shadowed by death, I am not frightened. You, my Lord, are with me. Your campfires comfort me. You make sure there is food for me, even in the times of drought. You provide midday shade for my head. 
your water tanks overflow. Care and kindness ride beside me every day of my journey, and I will rest in the compound of my Lord forever. Now, Katrina also requested the 23rd Psalm, but she's asked for a more modern version. And so we sing these ancient words again, but this time set to music by the contemporary hymn writer Stuart Townend. finally move on from that psalm, I thought you might be interested to hear what Stuart Townend, the hymn writer, said about his composition. He said, I never set out to write a new musical version of this psalm. Seems very brave or very arrogant to think you can improve on the existing hymn version, which has been loved and sung by millions of people for so long. I was actually working on a different song at the time, And after several hours' hard work, which was not going well, 
I happened to flick to this psalm in my Bible while taking a break. A simple melody popped into my head and the whole thing was written in 10 minutes. The psalm is familiar as a psalm of comfort, but I also noticed that it uses a lot of movement imagery, walking, leading, following, etc., that speaks to me of an active response of faith to what the psalm is saying. We're to live each day believing goodness and mercy are following us, that there are still waters and green pastures to be found. And that's why I included the response, I will trust. Just as a footnote, the song I was working so hard on at the time has pretty much been lost in the mists of obscurity. But this one has lived on. And that's not a bad message for us. Sometimes I think that we're working on that are most important come to nothing and it's a bit discouraging but actually the thing that we didn't realise we were doing all along will be the thing that lasts our next reading the parable of the prodigal son has been requested by Ken once again these are words we all probably know off by heart but after Richard Holloway spoke about this parable at the Sunday Afternoon Philosophy Club a few years ago Ken was moved to write a poem about it so first of all, Brian will read the parable of, from the Gospel of Luke, and then Ken will read the poem it inspired, The Anarchic Grace of Christ. Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, Give me the share of the property that belongs to me. So the father divided the property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and travelled to a distant country. There he squandered his entire property in dissolute living. After he had spent everything... A severe famine took hold throughout that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating because no one gave him anything. When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am, dying of hunger. I will get up, I'll go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me now like one of your hired hands. So he set off, and he went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, he put his arms round him, and he kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. 
I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is now alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now the elder son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked, what's going on? He replied, your brother has come. Your father has killed the fatted calf because he's got him back safe and sound. The elder son became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you. I have never disobeyed your command and yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I can celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you kill the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. Yes, this poem was prompted by the, one of the talks at the Philosophy Cafe in about, I think it was 2015, when Richard Holloway was there. Now, he's a very powerful speaker, as you know. And it was this phrase that he used, the anarchic grace of Christ, which actually struck me as you know, very significant. You look up anarchic, anarchic in the dictionary, you'll find it's really with no controlling rules, almost lawless. And in a sense, God's love is rather like that. It's beyond all these rules and is abundant for each and every one of us. Anyway, here are, here are the words that were prompted by that. The anarchic grace of Christ. It isn't fair. We all must pay our dues and each must play their part. It's not for us to pick and choose from obligations to depart. That's the only way the world can work. Each one of us prepared to strive. No room for those who'd rather shirk. Altogether, that's how we can survive. Of course, there are always those who won't conform. Like the younger son, they break away. Don't tie him down. Just let him roam from hearth and home that lad would stray. And in many days of feasting, he did joyously revel, kept by his goodly share of the paternal inheritance, courting with the pleasures of the flesh and of the devil, offering no apology, no excuse, and no defence. But in due time, that decadent life began to pall. His funds diminished, his joy somewhat less intense. 
and then his former settled life he fondly did recall. Thoughts turned to home and comfort, it seemed to make much sense. And yet he knew he had no right forgiveness to expect. His father and his brother in duty still steadfast. He deserved very, so very little, and him they should reject. Why wipe away the sinfulness of, this wayward, of these wayward years now past? But on arriving near his home, to his very great surprise, the dissident young brother saw his father open-armed to welcome back that younger son as if he'd won a prize. But elder son, resentful, was anything but charmed. We all know this story of the prodigal who once was lost in vice, and making sense of such free pardon is somewhat problematic. How to explain this forgiveness but for the anarchic grace of Christ, an unmerited gift so full, so free, and so dramatic. When, in our resentment, we ask whether ethics or the law, surely love alone too simple to salve our every woe, our inward eye might open and discern not one without a flaw. By God's good grace, forgiveness he doth on each bestow. Well, what other hymn could we sing in response to those words than another old favourite, Amazing Grace?
Our next reading was chosen by both Grace and Jeff. It was read at Grace and Will's wedding, and Grace says she can still hear Will's dad reading it, but it's Jeff who's going to read it for us this morning. I can never read this without thinking of another time and place, not Grace's wedding, but uh, when I first heard it, it was a competition recitation from the Bible from memory, a school is severed in the early 1970s. And whenever I hear this, I'm immediately tra- transported back to Rural Pembrokeshire. It was probably read by generations of people of similar competitions and will be for generations to come. In whatever language, in whatever version, this is a timeless message for all of eternity. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised. <coughs> who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we have been killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our next hymn reflects the assurance of those words from Romans. It's also been requested by Grace, and she says, I love the tune and the words of the last half of the last verse. Beneath the shadow of your wing, I live and feel secure, and daily as I follow close, your right hand keeps me sure. We sing, O God, you are my God alone.
our next hymn also speaks of God's faithfulness. It's been requested by Jenny, who worships with us when she comes to Glasgow from time to time, to care for an elderly gentleman who lives here in the West End, and it gives his family some respite. The hymn that Jenny has asked for is Gentle as Silence, written by Estelle White. I suspect a hymn that's known better to generations of schoolchildren than to some of us. But here's what Jenny says about it. This is a hymn that we sang at Monigaff, which is the Church of Scotland Kirk at Monigaff near Newton Stewart. I've not sung it since I moved 14 years ago, but I love the words and the haunting melody. It reminds me of both happy times and of a very unhappy experience which caused much distress. However, God helps us to rise above adversity. Now, this is not a hymn that we've sung before, but the tune is very easy to learn. So Leo is going to play the whole verse through before we stand to sing, and then we'll do our very best to sing it for Jenny, who's going to listen on the church's website. pleased with us. Our next two hymns both speak of the incarnation. So let's hear first those so familiar words that we hear every Christmas, the story of the birth of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke, and Sheila will read it for us. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him 
and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. So we sing of Christ's coming to earth in a hymn requested by Leo, who's playing for us this morning. It's based on one of the most ancient Christian chants, dating back to the 3rd century AD. These days, the liturgy from which it's taken is mainly used in the churches of Lebanon, Syria, Israel and Jordan, who can all trace their roots to the very first disciples of Jesus. So as we sing Leo's favourite hymn this morning, we're reminded that we stand in an unbroken line of those who for 2,000 years have tried to follow Jesus. We sing, Let all mortal flesh keep silence.
hymn focused on the kingship of Jesus, our next hymn asks what kind of king Jesus came to be. This hymn is chosen by Jean, who can't be with us today, and it's the servant king, which emphasises that Jesus was a very unusual king indeed. (coughs) One who came not to be served, but to serve. But first, before we sing it, a reading that is my personal favourite. It's a poem I came across many years ago, and I won't pretend it's great poetry, it's not. But it's always seemed to me to say in words that even a child can understand what the incarnation really means. So we'll hear the poem first, and then we'll sing Jean's favourite hymn, The Servant King. The poem is entitled, You Know What We Mean When We Talk of a King. You know what we mean when we talk of a king. The moment he's born, he's surrounded by riches. He lives in a palace, imposing and tall. But born in a stable, in some little village, and laid in a manger, that won't do at all. You know what we mean when we talk of a king. He lives all his life in an aura of greatness. He knows he is big and the others are small. But live as the son of a Nazareth carpenter, simple and humble, that won't do at all. You know what we mean when we talk of a king. He dies and is buried in great pomp and splendour, Adored by his subjects and honoured by all. But hung on a cross to be killed like a criminal. Tried and convicted. That won't do at all. You know what we mean when we talk of a king. He has over each man the power to kill him. Or bind him or chain him and make him his thrall. But giving his subjects unlimited freedom and life everlasting and loving them all? You're either a liar to tell me these things or this one is different from all other kings. Oh, wow. 
Graham Kendrick, who wrote The Servant King, is ambassador for a charity, Compassion International, which supports over 1.6 million children living in need in 26 nations around the world. It's a charity that encourages Christians to understand worship as a way of life and real intimacy with God as continuing the work of the servant king by serving the most needy of our world. And that is still the challenge for us today. Our prayer this morning has been requested by Holly and it couldn't be more appropriate. An affirmation of urban living by Dorothy McRae McMahon picks up on the love of the servant king for the people of the city and challenges us to love them too. And Holly is going to lead us in that prayer now. Um, I came to, to faith when I was 15 at a Christian festival in the heart of Belfast. I spent my late teens uh, volunteering with East Belfast Mission, doing some youth work, and at St Peter's Cathedral, which is the big Catholic cathedral on the Falls Road in Belfast. I then moved to Glasgow, and throughout this I was going to church in cities every Sunday and singing hymns and reading prayers that were about God in nature, and that wasn't where I was encountering God. I knew a God who loved the, the people of the city. I read the Bible and I, I saw Jesus weeping and worshipping with the people of the city and then being tortured and executed outside the city wall. I knew the Holy Spirit was moving with the kids that I was working with in East Belfast and in West Belfast. And when I came to university I discovered um, the writings of Dorothy McCray McMahon who's a minister in the Uniting Church in Australia and she's one of my, my favourite writers of, of prayers and liturgies and this really struck me as being a, an affirmation that I could really wholeheartedly get behind. Um, in 2011-ish um, George and I were involved in writing um, this which is the SCM Little Book of Prayer which was a prayer resource for the student Christian movement um, in the UK. And this was the prayer that I put forward as one of my favourites I wanted to include in that resource. Let us pray. We believe in God whose creativity is not defeated by concrete or traffic, but shines forth in the centre of our life. We believe in Jesus Christ, who lived as friend and saviour to the people of the city, who ate and, and laughed, wept and celebrated with ordinary people like us. We believe in the Holy Spirit who dances in the city as moments of truth and grace and love, who goes between us with threads of community and never leaves us without hope. And we believe in the church, which is real when it stands open to the life of the city and bears witness to the love and justice of God. Amen. We continue our worship in the giving of our offerings. <clears throat> Thank you. 
closing hymn today has been requested by Walter. It's another hymn based on ancient words. Be Thou My Vision is a prayer for protection attributed to a 6th century Irish saint. But it's also a powerful prayer of response to God's call. And so as we leave this place to go out into our city and our world, there could be no more challenging sending. We sing together, Be Thou My Vision. On our hearts and on our houses, the blessing of God. In our coming and our going, the peace of God. In our life and our believing, the love of God. At our end and new beginning, 
the arms of God to welcome us and bring us home. <laughs>